Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, if you have a Bible, Grab one. We're going to be in Ephesians 4. If you ever want one, there's some in the back. And if you ever want one for home, you either take one from the back or come to me and I'll get you a really nice one with a leather cover and everything. Um, because I think it's important for you to have the Word of God uh, at, your, uh, at your disposal, at your, uh, at your home, for you to be able to open up. We encourage you to open up uh, the Word of God. Uh, this morning we're going to continue our study in the, in the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 4. Uh, we're going to start out, I think, uh, somewhere, oh, I don't know, somewhere around verse 11, I think it is. But Paul has been teaching us, and he's been talking about the, a few things, like the unity of the Spirit and what that meant. We covered that uh, some time back. And, and, and then also unity of the faith. And he's hitting on something very important. Because Christians too often do what? It becomes about fighting. It becomes about what, what are my desires that override your desires and who's right and, and who's wrong. And unfortunately, this has really devastated the church because it's more about making my point and not caring about how the other person feels. Recently, I read an article about this uh, anthropologist. He went to New Guinea. And I, as a kid, I always wanted to go to Papua New Guinea. I think it's, it's near the Philippines, and it's just really cool because there's a lot of tribes there that, that literally have never seen anybody outside their tribe, outside their, in a sense, their family. I mean, it's a big tribe, but not many people from the, from the world have, have gone in there. But this anthropologist, he went and lived with them to learn the ways of this tribe. He somehow got introduced to them, and, and somehow they, they liked this guy, and, but he noticed something that they just had a terrible diet. And don't think of, oh, they ate too much sugar. No, they just, what they were eating was not providing for their bodies. So they just had a terrible diet. So, so they fought a lot. And literally, somebody every morning would get up and they would start a fight. So, I mean, think of, you know, you're all, you come out of your hut. I know it's hard to imagine. Come out of your hut, and you're all gathering up in the morning, and somebody just starts a fight. It was a ritual. Every morning he noticed this. And he came to the conclusion they needed the adrenaline to wake themselves up, to get them going. This is the only the other thing that he could think of, and it was their diet that was causing all this, and he found all this later. But, but of course, you know, some of us have grown up in rituals where every morning we wake up in our household and somebody starts a fight, right? You understand what I'm saying. Because it's become the tribe ritual. You know, our neighbors know our middle names. Because they've been said too many times. Or maybe a few other names that we shouldn't mention that you've been called. 
But the anthropologists said that they did this every morning. You know, there's organizations that are like this. There are marriages that are like this. There are churches that are like this. And the Apostle Paul is telling us the Lord gave leadership to the church so that we would mature, so that we would have unity in the body. And last week, we stopped that we're, 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 he starts talking about the different types of leadership uh, that's in the church. In verse 11, it picks up and it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists. And the word evangelist really means good news carriers. You know, some people are just, they're great good news carriers. That's all they do. And you're like, man, I wish I could be like that. Well, they're gifted in evangelism. They're gifted in carrying that good news to other people. And he goes on, he says, and some to be pastors and teachers. And this is all why? To prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach uh, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, the Christ. Paul is teaching us that the Lord gave leadership to the church so we can do the, the first two words, to prepare and to build up. Now, when you go into the original language, uh, the word prepare is a really rich word. It, it's, a, it's a medical word, yet it's a fishing word. It means to, to, to mend like you're setting a bone, or men like you're, you're fixing a net. So it's a Greek medical term and, that was used by fishermen to mend something that needs to be used later. Don't throw it out like it's useless. You know, Luke traveled with Paul, and, and you know, Paul was beat many times. So you have to you know, think, did Luke ever mend one of Paul's bones? Did he ever set one of Paul's bones? We don't know. It's not in the Bible. But we know that literally he was beaten to the point of death and literally thrown into the trash heap outside of town because they thought he was dead. So you could imagine something like that happen. So he's talked to him about setting bones. To set a bone or to put a dislocated shoulder back into place, you have to know how. You just can't go in there and do it. Now, I used to be an athletic trainer in, in football and in, in bas even in basketball and pretty much every sport. You can dislocate a shoulder pretty easily. Uh, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know if my son's pretty active, but I don't know if I want him playing sports because I know all the things that can go wrong. Not just, oh, they get hurt, but I know specifically what can go wrong. Did you know that if somebody dislocates a trainer, do you know how to put it back in? Well, some of you might, some of you might not. Literally, you have them lay face down on the table. You get up underneath the table, you put your feet on the table. So you're laying down on your back. You grab their arm, and you don't yank. You just slowly pull down, and it puts pressure on it. You put more pressure on it. You keep pulling, pulling. It tires out the muscles. And then finally, it goes, and it goes right back in, and it does make that sound. It's kind of fun. I know, my warped war, war, war sense of humor. 
Sounds great. I'm like, oh, I'm back in. Yes. You have to know how to do it. You just can't ignore it. You can't say, well, you know, if you ignore it, what happens? Well, it becomes useless. Your arm's just kind of hanging there for the rest of your life. You just can't ignore it. You've got to mend these things. Healing has to start with the mending, with the setting. A healthy church has to have healthy people who allow unhealthy people to be welcomed in the church. A healthy church will also allow people to to heal before they start saying, you need to start doing this, or you need to start doing that, or you need to be involved in this ministry. You have to be able to to come in and, 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 in a sense, lay in the bed for a while. And then finally, when you're on the mend, somebody comes in and says, okay, time to get up and start walking. Time to start getting involved. It's time to start, start doing things yourself. Because if you don't, what happens? Atrophy sets in. You know what atrophy is, right? And I'm probably saying the word wrong. You know what I'm talking about? It becomes dead. You know, you go have knee surgery. Man, they got that knee moving right after surgery. Did you know that? How many of you have had knee surgery like that? Knee replacement or something like that? Okay, I see three hands. There's got to be more than that. Well, anyway. So, so, I mean, literally, right after surgery, they, they put you on a machine that starts moving that leg because they don't want things to shrivel up. They don't want things to get used to the way they are. So you've got to get up. You've got to get up. You've got to get moving. Paul would have seen this in action also in the fishing industry. Man, they used nets. They had to catch fish. This was their livelihood. What happens if you get a hole in, that, in the net? The fish get out, right? I mean, sounds simple. Well, should I just throw away the whole net? No, you you mend it so you can use it for the next time. The whole concept is is mending something that will be used for service later. The word prepare is also uh, to to fit somebody out, uh, like an outfit. You know, there are people that specialize in certain things. Sports teams, they have an equipment manager. They usually call them manager. Uh, the, the trainers, all the, all the guys that heal people were just called trainers. They never knew your name. Hey, trainer! Or manager. The managers know the exact equipment for the right place. You, you know, for football, you've got to have the right pads in the right place or you're going to get hurt. A lot of the guys don't like to wear the hip pads, you know? But guess what happens when you get there? It's called a hip pointer. And boy, does it hurt! You've got to have the right equipment. Or take fishing. Did you know that you need different type of equipment for down south than you need up north. I go fishing to, to Canada ever so often. And, well, you know, my father and my uncle did this for 30 years until my dad passed away. And, and this next year in September, if anybody wants to go, hey, come talk to me. I'd love to take you. It's, it's great. Going to go to Canada for a week and going to go fishing. The exact same place that my father's gone for, for 30 years. It's kind of a tribute trip. But did you know you need different bait, different lures, different clothes, different hats? Different gloves, different tools, different boats. You've got to know the right place in the, in the lake to fish. There's this one spot on the lake. I can guarantee that you will catch a fish. How do I know that? Well, last time, everyone who tried to find that spot could not find it. But I was equipped I could put my boat, I set my anchor, I put my lure out. Within a minute, I had a fish on that line. I knew the exact spot, thanks to my GPS reader. <laughs> I was equipped. 
I mean, we could go into photography. You need to, I mean, I, I love photography and I get some pictures that have just this deep blue sky. Well, people are like, how do you get it so blue? I'm like, well, you can with the filter. A polarizing circular filter. You got to have the right equipment. So the first one is to prepare, to mend, to outfit the church. The second is to build up the body. What, is it, what does this mean? Well, we, th- we always use the term working out, right? Well, we'll think of it like a building. The leadership of the church has to be involved in putting together the structure. <clears throat> Excuse me, the structure. There's some people like, oh, we don't like structure. We don't like all the, you know, especially when you get into a larger church. You know, when, when I was... Uh, started out in ministry, I was at a church with 150 people. You did church a certain way. Well, we got to 300 people. We had to change the structure of the church. Got to 600 people. We had to change the structure again. We got to 1,200 people. They had to change it again. It's driving me nuts. I liked the first structure. I liked walking into the pastor's office. He and I were good friends, and all of a sudden, I'm like, we hiring an executive pastor? I have to go to him? It drove me nuts. You have to have structure for the church. There's just not one way of doing it. Some churches say, well, we're a New Testament church. Okay, well, that's interesting because in the New Testament, you will read different ways of having church that they had during that time. One church, Paul says, (laughs) and guys, no women in leadership there. Okay, but then another church, you have Philip that had four kids, his four children, that's the word I was looking for, four daughters who were prophets in the church. There's different ways to do church. It's very interesting in the New Testament when you read it. And some churches, one man leading the church, and others, you have a group of elders leading the church. It works both ways, just different. So we look at some churches and say, you know, who say, well, this is the only way to do church. It's just just wrong. It's not correct. You can't find that in the New Testament. You'll find several different ways to lead the church being built up. Now, as Paul talks about the unity of the body, we need to to remember not to drive by by churches and, and think, well, they're doing church the wrong way. As long as they're building on the foundation, the foundation of what the apostles taught us in the New Testament, as long as we're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, there are different ways. God bless them for having ministry. It's the same Jesus, different style. Not better, not worse, just different style. Now there is, let me have a caveat here, if they're not saying that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then they are doing it wrong. If they're not saying that he died for our sins, they're doing it wrong. If they're not saying that we have to accept that to be able to go to heaven, then they're not biblically correct. So I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the foundation. If somebody's just doing church a little differently, they're not wrong. They're just doing it differently. To prepare the body. To build up the body. Verse 13, he goes on and says, until, we, until all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. Do you get this idea as you read through this? That Paul is looking for the church to mature and to grow. 
He's saying, man, you guys need to get well. Your, your bones need to be healed. But also, to the point where Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That we have unity in the faith. That we experience Jesus that changes how our church is. That we become mature. And the Greek word here for, for mature is teleos. Now this isn't like 100% on your grade. Oh, my English teacher gave me 100%. We're not talking about that type. It means growing up. It means well-rounded and mature. To the, full, to the full measure of the metron that we talked about. And the fullness of Christ. That we need to discover that it's about Christ. It's not about my desires. It's not about my way. It's not about my style. But it's about Jesus. See, we don't measure ourselves. We don't metron ourselves. We don't measure it by comparing to other churches. We don't measure it by comparing to other Christians. We compare it by looking at Jesus. He's the one that fills us. In verse 14 it goes, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. Now I have a 17-month at home, and you, know, you guys know that because I keep telling you about him. But when Brandon was really small, Man, you know, I had to really be careful with him. His head, you pick him up, his head goes, you know, just all over the place. You had to hold his head. I mean, I'm sitting there going, I've never really done it. I've, I've maybe held two babies before, you know, 40 years old, and I'm going, okay. Wow, his head goes down. Okay, I better hold that. But now, as he gets bigger, man, I can just toss him around. Right now, he drags us to our bed right now because, I, you know, he wants to jump. On the bed. I made the mistake. He, he was sitting on the bed with my wife, and I, I saw him in there, and I snuck around the corner, and I came running up, and I jumped right on the bed. I made that mistake, because he started squealing. He thought it was funny. So now he just, every morning, he'll come in. We'll have him out in the living room. He'll grab my wife's finger and just pull her, going to the bed. And he gets, he gets near the bed, and he goes... Okay, it looks goofy, me doing it, but it's so cute when he does it. That means I want to jump. I want to get up there. Every afternoon, every evening, he does this now. But right now, man, we can throw him around. We have a ceiling fan above our bed. We've had some close calls. I know, I know, some near misses. But this is what Paul is saying. When we were little kids, man, we need that safety seat in the car so we don't get tossed around. Because daddy takes corners really fast. <laughs> but he says we're no longer to be infants. We need to mature. We're no longer children. It'll be interesting when Brandon gets to the Y stage. Because, he, I mean, he's so inquisitive. He knows what key goes to which car. We have not taught him that. He has observed that. He even knows that our Camry, you just hold the keys and you push the button. Because it's... You know, you don't have to stick the key in. But he understands it. He's just watched us. But the why stage will be interesting for him. Well, why? 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 You, you understand what I'm saying. The kids that just keep going, because I said so, come on. Why? This stage, they're old enough to know that there are different ways to doing stuff, and they know exactly how to push your buttons. But right now, it's just the grunting. Uh, uh, and I'm sitting there going, I wish he could tell me what he wanted. 
But next, it'll be the I want and why. The I want stage, Brandon, you know, right now, Brandon shows us what he wants by his tantrums, right? He's just, I want that, you're not giving it to me, so I'm just going to fall on the ground and throw a tantrum. So he just lays his head on the ground, sometimes bangs his head on the ground. We're like, okay, not on the tile, let's move you over to the carpet if you're going to do that. And he just plops down. Because we didn't give him what he wanted. I just look at him and walk away. But Paul is talking about children. Have you ever seen this in an adult in a church? Mm. Paul says, let's grow up because we're no longer children tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by, the, by every wind of teaching. Paul knows about storms. Paul knows that it doesn't matter how big the boat is. You're still tossed around. You come to port and you're like, oh, wow, that boat is huge. And then you get out in the water and what happens? Storm comes up. That that huge boat still gets tossed around. Maybe not as much as the little one does, but it still gets tossed to and fro. Paul is talking about false doctrine as if it was a storm. Here's Here's the new doctrine. Here's the new thing. Here's the new way. He says, no, don't be immature. It says here, and and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. The word scheming here is the shell games. You all understand what I'm talking about, the shell games, you know, the cards or the shells, you know, you can still go to San Francisco and they'll do it for you and, you know, you go and play and and you can win several hands. As soon as you put the money down, you're going to lose. See this in New York. You see this in San Francisco. The Roman soldiers did this back then. That's the word scheming. That's where it comes from. There are those who will teach you false doctrine. And while it may look good for a while, when you get in there and you start to understand, you start to see the deeper truth, and then, you know, or they'll teach you, oh, this is a deeper truth, and then come to find out you've been deceived because they're no longer biblically based. Verse 15, it says, instead, speaking the truth in love. This literally means love it truthfully. Just going to love it truthfully. You see whole, whole groups who are, who are very truthful, but not very loving. I'll tell you the truth. Or you'll see churches that are, uh, you know, whole groups that are, that are really loving, but they never get to the truth of Christ. They never get to the truth of the Word of God, of how God wants us to live, how God wants us to, to be. Paul says you can actually have both. Love each other truthfully. And in all things, grow up into him who is the head, or the head, that is, Christ. Now, Paul's going to, to jump into a whole concept of, of about the, you know, uh, talking about the body being the body of, uh, of Christ and comparing the church to, to the body with Jesus as the head. Telling the leadership of the church, don't ever think that you're the brains of the church because you're going to get in trouble when you do. Learned over time, the pastor can't be the problem solver of the church. You know who the problem solver of the church is? Jesus Christ. That's who the problem solver is. Christ is the problem solver of the church. He is the head. Now think about a physical body. What is the head of the body? 
I mean, we talk about chickens with their head cut off, right? Running around with their head cut off. Well, that's the church. That's the people without Christ. We don't want to be that. Christ is what? The head of the body. The head is the computer of the body. The nerve you know, impulse, the, the pain, the joy, all that comes from the head, and it all comes through the brain. The head of the body is amazing. You know, we look at computers and just go, wow. But man, they still don't rival what happens up here in your noggin. Still, you know, I mean, what happens in your head is amazing. Jesus is the head of our body like our brain. The brain is how we feel, what we say, how we love. And, and it's really, you know, it's, it's our heart. You know, we say we, we love from our heart, don't we? But really it's from the head. It's where we feel. Now, when we go through the terrible twos in life, you know, we know that mommy has said, don't touch the stove, it's hot. But then the one time that mommy's not there, our brain is saying, don't do that. But we're going over there and inching up, inching up, and we put our hand right on it. And then instantly what happens? Our brain screams at us. It doesn't go, you stupid idiot, why did you... No, it says, get your hand off that, and it's instant. It doesn't berate us. Then somehow it computes to our mouth, and usually we start screaming. Sometimes not so good words, sometimes just a scream. We're still hurt, but it's not as much damage as it could have been because our head said, take your hand away. So what happens? You burned your hand. And then your hand says to your brain, I blame you. You should have stopped me. But the brain ignores that and sends immediately agents within the body to start healing that hand, especially in children. I'm amazed at how quickly they heal. It tells the other hand, hey, go over there. He's just been burned. Tell them that, that you're with them, that you understand. You're like, oh. You grab the other hand, right? Instantly, the brain does that. Why can the other hand do much? No, you're already burned. I mean, you can help put some ointment and all that, but instantly, it's not doing anything other words than, I feel for you, brother. <laughs> what happens when you stump your toe? You stump your toe on your left foot. You start going, oh, man. Now, does that help the left foot to hop up and down on the right foot? No, it doesn't. You know, no other purpose other than I'm with you on this. The brain all the time says to me, Alan, Alan, Alan don't say that. Don't, don't go there. And when I do, it immediately tells me, I told you not to say that. The brain. Jesus wants to be the head of the church. He wants to be the brains. Paul also says in verse 16, From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. And we talked about how the body had over 900 ligaments. And it, it doesn't matter how strong your femur bone is, your thigh bone. It doesn't matter how strong that is. If, you know, you can, you know it has to have the muscles, it has to have the ligaments, it has to have the blood flow, it has to have a layer of fat, and it's got to have skin over it. 
It has to have structure around it. The human body is a fascinating thing. The human body is, is tied together in so many different ways. It is tied together by the blood, you know, the heart just pumping. Why? It takes the nourishment that goes in our mouth to the body. But the mouth and the stomach don't go, well, that's enough food for us. <laughs> the rest of you can just fend for yourselves. No, it all works together. It eats for the whole body. So take this concept and think about it this week. All the different ways that the body is tied together. The body heals itself. You get a cut, the body will heal it. All the doctors do is sew it up so it doesn't get infected, but, but immediately the body has to heal it. There's nothing more we can do for that. You know, wouldn't it be great if everything just did that? The car just repaired itself? I mean, everybody would love that except for Ken over here. He'd be out of a job. You know, for 85 to 90 to 100, some even up to 120 years, the body heals itself pretty well. Look at it. He says here, it says, the body grows and builds itself up in love. Did you know the body reproduces its skin every seven years? So just wait seven years and you'll have a whole new layer of skin. This works that way. It's a continually, uh, continual process as each does its work. If you get a huge gash in your heel, it doesn't matter how much muscle your leg has. You have to get off that foot for a while for it to be able to heal. If your arms are really strong but your heart gives out, it doesn't matter. The body has to, to flow and has to work together. We'll all be at your funeral and go, wow, man, he's got great arms. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying about the church. He teaches about this in 1 Corinthians 12. And in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm not going to turn there, but it, you know, he basically says, what would happen if the foot said, because I'm not an ear, I am not of the body? And the foot said, well, I'm just going to go somewhere else. And it just takes off. You see what I'm saying? The rest of the body's begging, no, no, we need you. Come back here, foot. No, I'm not an ear. You know, I'm not a good speaker, so, you know, God can't use me. I'm not a good singer, so I can't worship. You don't want me singing out loud. I'm not good with children, so I can't teach. Okay, well, what about adults? No, I'm scared of adults. Great, you're a junior high teacher then. Been there, done that. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> As every part of the body does its share, Paul says that it's dangerous when one part says no. It is like the eye saying to the mouth, I don't need you. All I need is to be an eye, and you just see the eye rolling off down the street. Everybody going, huh? I mean, can you visualize that? I mean, you should have quit when you were ahead. Yeah, some of you caught that. Okay. What if your mouth said, okay, we'll stop there. But, but Paul says, stop comparing each other. Stop comparing yourself to, to other people within the church. You're all part of the same body. You know, what am I supposed to be? What am I not supposed to be? 
If we stop doing that, we become more healthy because everyone starts doing their part. Verse 17, it says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And, and in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be gone this next week. We're going to have a guest speaker, but in a couple of weeks, we're going to start right here. Paul had just said last week, walk worthy of your calling. Now he says, don't walk like you used to. Get away from that lifestyle. Now, for those that have accepted Christ as, as a young kid that grew up in the church, you, you're sitting there going, you, you kind of struggle. You don't have that, that testimony of, man, I was a drug addict and the Lord saved me. And we all think, oh, we need that kind of testimony. No. The Lord needs all sorts of testimonies within the church. But for those, he's saying, don't go back to that lifestyle that you had before you were with Christ, your B.C. days. Then he describes their walk. He says, in the futility of their thinking. If the Lord is not your head, then what are you left with? Yourself. The world's system on how to act. Now, what kind of system is that? We'll just watch the news at night and you understand. Who do you go to for, for approval? How do you entertain yourself? and the futility of their thinking, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in. You know, next time we're going to study all these words that go through here, because, I mean, we're talking about the before Christ days, our B.C. days, that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to, to sensual, uh, sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. That's that toss to and fro. If we let my son eat, he will eat himself into, into throwing up. He loves to eat. I don't know how he stays so skinny. I don't get, because, yeah, no. Man. Giving themselves over. No boundaries, no rules. We were talking about the rules earlier, Randy, right? You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. And we're going to get to all that, but you know what that tells me right there? The people that were brought up that way, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you've heard of him. In other words, they've been taught, and what have they done? They've gone back to the futility of their own thinking. They came into the church, they've been taught all this stuff, and then they go back, and who's the head? They act like they're the head, and Christ is no longer the head of their life. That's what it's talking about here. And Paul's saying, come back. Allow me, allow Jesus to be the head of your body. So we'll pick it up right there in a couple of weeks. So why don't we pray? Lord, I pray that we start to understand that we get to a point in our own life that we understand that you are the head of who we are. 
You're the head of this church. You're the head of, uh, you're the one that, that sends out the signals that says, don't do that. Think about this before you do it. You're the one that heals us. You're the one that says, pull that hand away. You're the one that says, no, the foot can't go anywhere. It's part of the body. You're the ones that do this, Lord. And I pray that we start to understand in our own lives and within this church that we all have a purpose. We all can't be the hand. We all can't be the foot. Some of us have to be organs. Some of us have to be the skin, Lord. And as we learn about this, as Paul brings this concept to us, that we start to, to say, Lord, where do I fit in in the body of Christ? Am I in the right place? I'm acting like a hand, but should I be something else? And we pray, Lord, that you direct us in those things, that it not be our own thinking, but we allow you to put us where you want us in the service of your kingdom because it will be so much more effective that way, Lord. We can change lives and change the people's lives that are in this community, those that come through our doors, that we have your love in our life that can be magnified to this world. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you and he will never turn his head from you in this world that wants to be the head. I pray that you keep your eyes on Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.